Father, we thank you for this day, for the excitement that is within it. And we pray that you'll open your word to us now, that we may understand more of what it means to call you Hosanna, the son of David. We ask it in your precious name. Amen. Well, can I give my thanks to Andy for uh, the mission that you had on behalf of my daughter, Helen, who told me that she had two days of special activity from stuff from the diocese in the, ch in the school. And she said that on the day after, to her surprise, behind the door was a handwritten note from the bishop thanking her for what he had found in St. Stephen's School. It wasn't the first time she'd met the bishop, it was the second time. The second time, he asked her background, and she had to say she was the vicar's daughter. So he said, and who's the vicar? And he, she said, he's called Jim Rushton. And he said, oh, Big Jim! <laughs> big Jim. So, <laughs> so that's how the bishop sees me. I haven't spoken to him since then. <laughs> okay, well, let's just remind ourselves of those words which the crowd was shouting. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. We're thinking of a very exciting event. Our minds are filled with pictures of people, palm branches, and a lot of noise. I guess we've heard this story many, many times, particularly people of a certain age, of which I am one. But what was it really like? on that Palm Sunday. Who was in the crowd? Where did the donkey come from? What does the slogan shouted by the people really mean, Hosanna? And perhaps most of all, how big an event was it actually? It's certainly part of the whole drama that we call Holy Week and Easter. Well, let's start with the background. It all began at a little settlement called, I've always called it Bethphage, but in the Greek, the E at the end is pronounced, so it's probably Bethphage or Bethphage. Anyway, a little place that if you go to uh, the Mount of Olives today to try and find it, there's nothing there. It was so small, it's disappeared. It was about as far from Jerusalem as we are from Preston Station. Just imagine... The trip down was down a hill, the Mount of Olives. Jerusalem lay right before them. And you come down Fishergrave Hill and you see St. Stephen's in all its glory. No, you don't, because it's all hidden by, by houses. But you know what I mean. It, it, was that, it was that short a distance. It wasn't very far at all. Well, what brought so many people together? First of all, there had been the amazing miracle of the raising of Lazarus from the dead at Bethany. Now, Bethany was only a mile and a half away from Bethagi. So it was only really just two miles from Jerusalem. So it's very, very near. He lived in Bethany. So many people had either seen or heard of the miracle. By all standards, it had been a stupendous miracle. What was Jesus now going to do now he was coming to Jerusalem? People were following to find out. Jesus had actually passed through Bethany that day on his way to Jerusalem. 
But Jesus was also coming up from Jericho. And there was another excited man in that crowd. He was called Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. He'd been a blind beggar sitting beside the main route out of Jericho to go up to Jerusalem. And when he cried out to Jesus for help, he discovered his need was recognized and met. How amazing for Bartimaeus to be with Jesus on that Palm Sunday and to see Jerusalem for the first time. I'd not thought of that until I was preparing this, but actually he was seeing it for the very first time. So he'd be pretty excited, wouldn't he? And then there was the inner core of followers, what we call the disciples. They'd been with Jesus about three years. They'd had time to watch him closely, to hear his teaching, to see all the miraculous events that had taken place. How did they approach this entry into Jerusalem? Well, they knew it was going to be climactic. Everything that Jesus had said to them was that he was going up to Jerusalem and he was saying he was bringing in the kingdom of God. It was all going to happen at this time when they came to Jerusalem. So the thought that was in their mind at that time was, being as we're the inner circle, being as we've been with Jesus all these three years, what actual role are we going to have when this great kingdom comes in? And which one of us is going to be the most important one? So I suggest to you that although there's a lot of excitement on Palm Sunday, these disciples had another agenda in their minds. They had a mixed attitude in their mind because they were thinking about what their future was going to be. Then the procession also included people who came out from Jerusalem. They heard that Jesus was arriving. They were curious. They came out from Jerusalem, having heard all about Jesus and what he'd been doing, and so they wanted to see what he was like. And there was yet another ingredient on this day, on Palm Sunday, and that was the established Jewish leadership based in Jerusalem. I don't think any of them actually came out on Palm Sunday, but they were watching and waiting. They were terrified as to what Jesus coming to Jerusalem was going to mean for them and for the future. And of course, there was Jesus himself. He sent two disciples to get the donkey. It involved an adult mare and her foal. Jesus' mount was to be on the foal. He was to be the first person ever to ride it. But how had this been arranged? Was it just a miraculous occasion? Or had Jesus actually arranged for it in advance? I suggest he'd arranged for it, but the disciples didn't know that he had. No doubt they were asleep and he got up early in the morning or something like that, and he'd made the arrangement. So, all of this that I've just described made up what took place when Jesus was at Bethany entering into Jerusalem. Now let's think about the fulfillment. Jesus deliberately entered Jerusalem in this way. It's so important that we grasp this. Everything in Jesus' life 
was fulfilling all that had been previously promised in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah, concerning himself. On this day, Abraham in heaven was rejoicing that the promise that God had given to him when he came out of Ur of the Chaldees and went into Canaan, and God said, from you, from your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Abraham would have been able to see on that day that that promise was being fulfilled. Moses could have seen on that day that the prophecy that he made that a great prophet would come was now being vindicated. This was a great prophet coming to Zion, to Jerusalem. David. David, who'd been told that his throne would be established forever, it would never cease, he would be able to see that Israel's ultimate salvation could now be through his greater son, Jesus. And those prophets in the Old Testament who spoke through Israel's darkest days, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and so on, their message was, God is bringing judgment on you at this time because of your unbelief, because you don't worship God as you should. But there was always the message of hope. God will nevertheless not abandon his people. He will return and bless his people. He would restore and bless. And among those prophets was Zechariah. He lived in the time of the ex after the exile was over. The temple had been rebuilt, nothing like the temple that Solomon built, but there was a temple. Life wasn't easy. There was lots of opposition to the Jews who'd returned from exile. The struggle to live in that context. Few believed that they had a great future ahead. And Zechariah spoke to them these amazing words. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus was fulfilling that which had been promised years before concerning the work he had come to do. I believe that only Jesus on that day knew the significance of what was actually happening. Only he knew what he was fulfilling. Only he knew what lay ahead in the coming six days. But it was a fulfillment of God's sure promise. And so we come to the entry into Jerusalem. We have the picture, the background, the excited crowd, the purpose of God being carried out, the chorus that was being sung out, ringing out as the procession went on, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. What were they actually shouting? They were shouting, save us! Please save us, that's what it means. They were asking for salvation actually. Though the word Hosanna probably just became a general word for praise. But that's what we lay behind, the actual word Hosanna. 
Remember, this was the week of preparation for the Passover, the most significant of all the Jewish feasts. What did the Passover celebrate? God's deliverance from Egypt. The amazing night when the angel of death passed over all the Jewish households and in every Egyptian household, the eldest child was killed. That was the judgment that forced Pharaoh to say, you can go. And they were free to leave slavery and go to the promised land. Passover was only a picture of the great salvation that God was to bring about through his Messiah. This crowd was expecting great things. They did believe that God was in Jesus for their good. That's what they were singing and shouting about. What they didn't know was how this long-for deliverance that had been promised of old would actually work out. The last last thing that they expected was a Messiah who would die and die in the most horrible way. Of all who rejoiced in that most exciting event, there was not one of them good enough to stay with Jesus through to the end of his death. Everyone retracted from him and left him alone to die. In other words, they all needed salvation. And salvation came through the cross. The universality of human sin is seen in what happened on Good Friday. The experience of salvation only came when, as sinners, they were able to turn to a risen Christ who had died and ask for mercy and forgiveness and acceptance. We normally sing on Good Friday. I guess you will do whether here or at the Passion Play. These simple yet very profound words written for children initially. He died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good. We might go at last to heaven saved by his precious blood. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. The symbol that we will all receive today is a simple cross made out from a palm branch, palm leaf. I have to say that it wasn't the practice in my church as I grew up as a youngster to give out palm branches. We regarded ourselves as the ultimate low church. There was no other church good as ours in the whole of the Oldham district. We didn't do anything that smacked of anything like high church practice. But I have to say that it's a wonderful symbol for us. We receive today on Palm Sunday a symbol of the cross. A reminder that Palm Sunday was all about the cross. Jesus had nothing else in his mind. Whatever else anybody else had in their minds, he was only going to Jerusalem to die. And he was going to die for us. Jesus saves us by his death on the cross. Our joy today 
is that Jesus has died and that Jesus is risen and that Jesus will come again. So let's this morning accept the palm cross and let's make Jesus' cross our own. On his cross alone, his blood and righteousness, let that be where we stand for now and for all eternity. Let's pray. Eternal God, we thank you that in your plan and purpose you brought Jesus into our world. We thank you you brought him to that little village, Hamlet, on the side of the Mount of Olives, with only one intention, that you should lead your son to die upon the cross, not as a tragedy, but as the wonderful saviour for the sins of all who will come to him and put their trust in him. On this Palm Sunday we pray that we may really know why Jesus came and died and know it for ourselves and know the power of his presence in our lives. For we ask it in his precious name. Amen.